All right. Hello, everyone. We are here as part of the second annual Recovery and Sleep Summit, the 2021 Summit, and very, very excited for this talk today. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, we have my friend Brian Kane here. Brian is a world-renowned mental performance coach. He's worked with hundreds of top flight professionals in the NBA, the MLB, the UFC, you name it. Um, he's my go-to resource in this really underrated aspect of health and performance um, when we talk about the mental side of things um, and really one of the best in the game. So I'm really excited to, to dive into this. We also have some other friends of mine, some coaches and practitioners from a lot of different backgrounds. And we're just going to really get some some discussion going here. Brian's going to facilitate some some discussion. We're going to talk through some situations. So, Brian, yeah, I'm really excited that you're here and doing this. Nick, thanks for having me, man. Super excited with, with how successful the, the first Sleep and Recovery Summit was for you, and obviously an honor to be a part of that, and to be able to be a repeat uh, participant is super special for me. So thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So if you could just give us a little bit of a, an introduction here, you know, we will have your presentation available as well, where you kind of dive into your, your 10 pillars of mental performance. But if you could just lay a little framework, because you know, when you talk about mental performance, what I think is really lacking that I think you do a great job with is having these systems, right? So having these pillars and then all these actionable items under each pillar. So if you could just give us a little framework. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things, Nick, that, that I was blessed uh, to have coming up through in my education process is when I went to do my master's degree in sports psychology at Cal State Fullerton, ooh, back in 2001 to three, seems like yesterday, my mentor, a guy by the name of Dr. Ken Revisa, who when he passed away in 2018, I literally got his face tattooed on my heart. That's how much he meant to me. Um, you know, he, he was applied sports psychology ahead of the game, right? So at a time when sports psychology was very academic, it was very theoretical. He was the guy in the dugout, in the locker room, in the corner at boxing matches, on the sideline with Pete Carroll as a football coach, learning how do we take what we're talking about in a classroom and put it into action. So I had the privilege for those two years studying under him to literally watch him work with you know teams at UCLA, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach, the Anaheim Angels. And it was once a week in our class at Cal State Fullerton, which is in Anaheim, there would be someone coming into our class as a guest speaker. And if you remember, Michael Powell was a, was a world record holder in the long jump. He basically jumped a first down. The guy jumped like 29 and a half feet. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He was an assistant track coach at Cal State Fullerton. And I remember one day he was walking by and Ken runs out in the hallway and goes, hey, Mike, Mike, come on in here. I want to talk about the jump. Mike Powell comes in the classroom and three hours later, he's still talking about <laughs> the jump. And it wasn't about like the technique. It was more about the mindset, the routines, the training, the commitment, everything that it took to get there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know it at the time, but I was literally studying under like the Yoda of sports psychology or mental performance from an applied spec perspective. And I think over the last 20 years and in the last two decades of kind of continuing to evolve myself as a coach and working on this and, and traveling, you know, pre-pandemic, 250 to 280 days a year consulting with, you know, individual athletes, teams from youth levels to, to Olympic and professional sport levels from figure skating to MMA fighting. You know, I've been on the bench at figure skating world championships and in, in UFC corners and, and main events. And it's everything kind of in between. I was a high school athletic director for eight years myself in Vermont. And the beautiful part about that was I got to go and observe sports I knew nothing about, lacrosse, field hockey, ice hockey at the time, and would think to myself as I was watching and administrating these games as an AD, going, how would I apply what I learned from Ken Revisa and you know, the system of call it one pitch at a time in baseball, how would I apply that to all these different sports? And it's been such a valuable experience to have the opportunity to, to spend time in those sports because every sport has a different culture. You know, every sport has a different application. If you're talking about a sport like lacrosse or ice hockey where it continually flows, it's a different application, say, than a sport like golf, tennis, baseball, where there's a pitch and a stop or a shot. And then I wait for 10 minutes in golf and then I hit another one, you know, so it's different in every, every context, but the thing that's unique and consistent across all the platforms is what is mental toughness. And I think, you know, to steal a line from Gary V, we want to take it from the clouds and put it in the dirt, take it from being theoretical to being tangible. And I think as coaches, we understand that as coaches, and if you're taking notes, following along, if you'd write down these three steps, we do drills to develop skills and based off of the person who we're working with, they need to achieve a specific skill set to be successful. So there's a skill set, let's say for a football player, a skill set for a, uh, a golfer. 
and even within the sport of American football, let's say there's going to be a quarterback, there's going to be a lineman. One's 400 pounds, the other is 180 pounds. They look completely different. They have different things they have to do. They're both football players, but the skill set is totally different. Except from we're looking at what I would call the skill set of mental toughness, or as I call the skill set of mental performance mastery. So a skill set is simply a collection of skills. So the skill set of mental toughness really, I think, is made up of 10 skills. And I've seen these 10 skills that are in athletes like a George St. Pierre or a Kyler Murray or, you know, some of the top figure skaters on the planet or golfers on the planet. They're all doing the same thing, really. And I think it applies to executives or people that are coaching as personal trainers or, or weight loss coaches. They're focused on these 10 skills that make mental toughness. And then there's a series of drills that we do to develop these skills, just like you would if you were physical. So here's the 10 skills or what I call the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery that make up the skill set of mental toughness or mental performance mastery. So if you're taking notes, again, here's the 10 skills that we want to develop. And then Nick, we can kind of dive into, you know, the specific application of the drills to develop those skills or based off of, you know, the questions we have, how they tie back. So here's the 10 skills. Skill one is an elite mindset. Very similar to what Carol Dweck wrote about in her book, Mindset, about the difference between growth and fixed. I call it elite versus average mindset. Skill two is motivation and commitment. How do I have the motivation to you know get started, but the commitment to keep going once that motivation dies? And then skill three is focus and awareness. Focus on being where my feet are, this task, this day, but the awareness to know when I get distracted, boom, and be able to bring it back to my next best decision. Skill four, self-control and discipline. And one of the things I remember Ken Revisa saying in our first day of graduate school, he comes walking in to the classroom and he walks around for like five minutes just saying, you gotta be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. You got to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. And like three minutes later, he had the whole class like he was a conductor. You got to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. And that has reigned true in every context I've ever had the privilege to work in where as a performer, coach or athlete, you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. Whether we're talking about Navy SEALs, MMA fighters, or chess players, you've got to be in control of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. So that self-control and discipline that we create as a part of skill four. Skill five is keeping the process bigger than the outcome. And I had a, a call this morning with a lacrosse coach here in the States, one of the top college lacrosse coaches, and his team His team is 0-2. They've lost two games to two teams that are ranked in the top 10. And I said, look, you've lost both games by one goal. If you stop one possession on the defensive end and you execute one possession on the offensive end, you guys are 2-0 and and you're ranked in the top 10. Well, right now you're 0-2 and you're not ranked but it's one possession on either side of the field on both sides. So if you actually stopped and executed in both games, you're 2-0 and and you're in the top 10, are you that much better than you are now being 0-2? Hmm. Process over outcome. That's the, you know focusing on the steps of where I want to get more than where I want to get. And this advice we get coming up through school right here in the States is, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. Well, when you keep your eyes on the prize, you trip over the present moment. It's terrible advice. So pillar number six I go into is called meditation and mental imagery. Meditation is basically the art and practice of being in control of yourself, being in control of your mind. Mental imagery, I look at as an advanced tool for preparation, seeing my performance before it happens. Um, you know, Conor McGregor talks a lot about visualization in the MMA fight where he knocked out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. And we have a clip of actually him in the locker room working on the certain punch combination he threw to get the knockout. And it's and then they mirror it with what he did in the octagon. It's the same exact thing. Now, mental imagery, a lot of times I think people think it's like a secret and, you know, you're going to achieve these great results if you just visualize. Well, you got to also take massive work, right? You also got to put in massive action. And there's a lot of factors that come into it. Visualization is just one of the factors. It's not Disneyland where everything I, everything I visualize and conceive, I will achieve if I don't take massive work. So it's part of the process, not the whole process. But visualization is a tool in terms of preparation, performance enhancement that I think we all can use as coaches um, and can really benefit our athletes. And then skill number seven is creating routines and habits of excellence. And if we can work to help our clients create the routines and habits that they need and also learn how to break the ones they don't want, that's going to allow them to get a lot of work done when they're not with us as coaches and trainers, which is going to help them come closer to getting those results that they want. Pillar eight, time management and organization. The one factor is the same for everyone on the planet. We got 24 hours in a day. 
how we invest versus spend our time, how we maximize that time and how we can be organized and more efficient is going to allow us to, to get the results we're looking for. And then skill nine is leadership and skill 10 is creating the right culture. So if I'm working with, say, a specific client, every client I'll work with will want to develop skills one through eight. Depending on the client and the context, we may go to look at leadership and we may go look at creating the right culture. Those, the last two kind of depend on... I think the individual and where they're at and what's going on, but skills one through eight, like when's the best time to get started? I get to ask this question. When's the best time to start training my, my son or daughter or my clients in the 10 in the 10 pillars. I would say the second trimester, if you're doing it the first trimester, you're a little crazy, but second trimester is a great time to start training hmm. these. But no, I literally, I think, you know, the earlier we can start with them, the better, because if you're, you know, uh, in elementary school and you can start to develop routines and a mindset and, and know what you want and why you want it from a motivation and commitment standpoint, but be able to stick to the process and be able to adapt and adjust that's only going to pave the way, I think, for you to be successful in whatever it is you decide you want to do. So to summarize again, Nick, we do drills, which we haven't really gotten into, to develop these 10 skills, which make mental toughness or mental performance mastery as a skill set. I love it, man. And I love how applicable it is to obviously, you know, the majority of your time and a good amount of your time has been spending, you know, spent working with the highest level of athletes, but how applicable it is down to, you know, every single type of client. And, you know, I think we mentioned we have a very diverse group of backgrounds on this call. Uh, specifically, we've got a massage therapist, uh, a personal trainer, a health coach, a myofunctional therapist. So just the fact that all these things are just so applicable across the board is really great. Um, before we dive into each one, just kind of one follow-up question to that, just to get your take on, you know, where do you see the greatest void in the industry when we talk about developing mental toughness? Is it a combination of all of these things and just lack of systems and principles around how we implement them? Or is it, you know, more maybe two or three pillars that kind of kick things off that we're really not capitalizing on very well that lead into everything else? Or where's the, the biggest void? Where are most coaches failing right now? I think, I think you said it right out of the chute. I think it's a lack of a system. You know, and I think a system has a start and it has an end and there's a journey in between. And I think a lot of times we look at, you know, mental performance as like a motivational speaker. And there's a big difference between a speaker and a system. And a speaker will get you energized and get you fired up for a short period of time. We've all been to those clinics or heard those videos on YouTube, right, where you want to go run through a wall, but then three days later, you can't remember what was said and there's no performance change because there's no plan. So to me, the biggest gap in the field, Nick, is, is how do we create the plan to close the gap from where I am to where I want to be. And if I can have a game plan to close the gap where here's where I'm at, there's where I want to go. How do I close that? How do I close that gap? Small, slow, daily to take a line from one of, one of my corporate clients, Whirlpool Corporation that makes the washers and dryers in many of our homes. They talk about small, slow, daily time on task over time. And I think there's a lot of speakers that make it sound like it can be an instant fix. You know, they make it sound like it's easier than it needs to be, you know, and you can't get rich overnight, right? There are no million dollar schemes. I mean, it's, you have to put in the work and you have to take the time, but in order to put in the work, you have to have a plan to make sure you're doing the right work. And I think that's where the success we've had with the certification in the field and space of mental performance is we give coaches and trainers a very specific plan that they can then take and tailor to their, to their clients and to their athletes. And I think when we're looking at whether I'm a strength coach or I'm working in, in rehabilitation or chiropractic or massage therapy or, you know, in personal training, how do we get our clients to do what we want them to do when they're not with us? And if we can get them to do what we want them to do when they're not with us, because we give them a better system, we create self-accountability, self-discipline and a plan. Well, we're, well, we're making our jobs a lot better and we're, and we're going to achieve a lot more results because they're going to be doing the things they want to do when they're not with us. And I go back to, you know, when I was a, a college baseball pitcher and I had a shoulder surgery, I'd go to the training room twice a week and do all these exercises. And then when I was left to do them on my own, I might do them, I might not. But part of it was, you know, the trainer I was working with and myself at the time, we didn't understand how habits are created. And to take, to take a piece from one of my favorite books on habit creation called Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg, who's a professor at Stanford, he says, B equals MAP. And this is how habits are created. B equals MAP. Behavior follows, or behavior equals motivation, ability, and prompt. Now, my motivation to rehab as a college baseball pitcher was through the roof. My ability to do the exercises, they were very simple. That was, I could do that. I never had the prompt. 
And if you listen to or, or read books like um, Atomic Habits, uh, James Clear, or The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, they all kind of say a similar thing in that habits and routines are started with a trigger. So if we can say to our clients, hey, let's create an AM routine or a PM routine. And in that AM routine, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to wake up, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to put your gym clothes on or whatever it is we need to do, and you're going to do this. And we start to create that domino effect. If you can, if you give them the plan, it's a difference between as a strength coach. If I can write a plan, that's a first step. But can I get my person to do the plan? And doing the plan has as much to do, I think, with mental performance as actually it does with, with you know, the writing their plan and the physical performance. And I think a lot of times the challenge, especially when it comes to habit creation, is it's not the motivation or the ability, it's the prompt. And if we don't create that prompt and help them identify that as a coach, we're dramatically decreasing their chances of being able to execute and do it consistently. Absolutely. hundred percent. I love it. It's the, it's the clarity, right. Being as clear, being as clear as we possibly can. And one thing that I really wanted to be, be mindful of this and probably the most important thing is that people don't hear me talk any more than they're already going to get this weekend. Um, so I want to make sure that we, we transition here to give everybody else the, the floor and give everyone else the opportunity. So we're going to go one by one with, with, with each of you. And basically the way we'll do this is if you could just give a little bit of an introduction, um, very brief about, you know, your background, what it is you do, the type of clientele that you work with, and then we'll, we'll hop right into it, you know, with any maybe specific situations that you like to work through with Brian, or maybe as he was going through those pillars, you know, the pillars that jumped out to you that you really struggle with, with your clients. And then we can talk through some, some actionable items. So, so Bori, let's start with you. Yes, unmute, my, unmute myself first. So, yeah, um, my name is Bora Balistrani and I'm a licensed massage therapist here in Texas, Houston. And I mainly work with like sports and orthopedic problems. And my clientele kind of like ranges from youth athletes to everybody <laughs> over the 100 years age. But um, sometimes I have clients that, and I'm not a coach or like I don't work with them in the gym. So my job is mainly to, give them those like softer skills or the, the mindset to kind of like get to the recovery phase also. So kind of like once the coaches push them through the hardcore workout, I'm the recovery phase or I'm the one who's kind of like guiding them through those um, little intricacies or smaller, like softer skills that they might have. So sometimes I feel like, you know, some of the teaching principles also come to my table because we have more time and they're more relaxed and like learning happens there and they have more questions. They feel more free to ask questions. Um, but I wanted, what I wanted to ask you, Brian, and I love your system and I feel it's like super valuable. And my issue is mainly with the healthcare clients who come in with chronic conditions or diagnoses that come from a medical practitioner that it's kind of like it's taking their power away. And I feel like we're struggling with that a lot to like bring this power and give the power back to the people and empower them. It's like, no, you can do things about this. You can take steps that is in your control and not your doctor's hand. And sometimes I struggle with that. It's like, who is on my team? Because mm -hmm. I feel like the doctor, or how can I create that culture between me and my client? Because I feel like the doctor is always just, no, just go home and we take care of it next time you come in. Or no, you just go home and we're going to cut it out or we're going to do surgery. But I feel like there's so much that we are like leaving on the table with these people to like really heal them and really get down to the bottom of the issue and give them tools to heal themselves and help themselves. So I don't know if you had any like experience with that. And then uh, what do you think would be the most beneficial pillar or like, where would you start with like healthcare clients like that? Yeah. Great question. And you know, as, as my, one of my friends and mentors, Dr. Rob Gilbert always says, he says, we can learn the skills or we're going to take the pills. You know, we can learn to do meditation or we can take the medication. You know, and obviously we want to try to empower our clients to be able to, to develop the skills that they need, um, you know, to be proactive with their health. So I think, you know, when I look at massage therapy and in, in my experience in, in the, in that field, um, you know, looking at maybe like meditation and mental imagery and, and helping them. Cause like when you come out of a, a massage, it's, it's like coming out of a yoga class to me, those two times when I come out of a massage, I come out of a yoga class, I never feel better. 
You know, I mean, in terms of the clarity, the peace, the calm, being where my feet are, being present, it's different than like coming out of a workout, but, but similar, right? And, and what's happening there. And I think as a, as a massage therapist, if you can, can also learn some of the, the skills of like, how do I create maybe meditation audios that I can share with my clients that they can use as part of an AM, PM routine to help them learn to facilitate the relaxation response, to decrease some of the stress that might be part of why they're coming to you as well. You know, that I think can be invaluable as a massage therapist. So I'd say the two skills to look at would be one meditation and mental imagery and literally at the point now where you can take your phone, you can open up the voice memos app, you can record a meditation following a, a simple script. And when I take people through, um, you know, meditation or mental imagery, I try to follow four steps. And the four steps to that that I cover in my certification would be step one, relaxation training. And when I go into relaxation training, I have them typically do what I call a six to eight breath where they'll inhale for six, hold for two, exhale for eight. I then might do a body scan where I'll say, you know, I call it the five, four, three, two, one technique. And all of this is in the certification course where, where like five is I have them go in and kind of do a body scan. We can do it together here where if I said, okay, when I, when you hear me say the number five, put your awareness into your toes and the balls of your feet, into your arches, your ankles, your Achilles, your calves, your shins with the number four, put that awareness into your knees, your quads, your hamstrings. When I say the number three, put it into your abs, your obliques, your lower back. And I'm just kind of going through their torso with number three. You know, number two, put the awareness into your traps, your shoulders, your biceps, triceps. I go down to their hands. And with the number one, come up the back of your neck, the back of your head, you know, et cetera. So I'm going through it much faster now. But I go through the six to eight breathing. I go through the five, four, three, two, one body scan. And then I'll even have them do like, I want you to, you know, lift, lift, uh, lift up your right leg an inch off the ground, hold it there, hold it there, drop it. Notice how you control the levels of tension and relaxation. So it's kind of like a progressive muscle relaxation. We'll have them squeeze, release, et cetera, trying to get them to realize that they can control the relaxation response. They can decrease their own stress, you know, instead of having to go to a bottle or going to pills and, taking them through that and by you and they already have a trust with you by being on your table so if you can record that audio and send it to them via text or email whatever it is they now have a tool they can use when they're not with you so not only are you helping them when they're on the table you're helping them when they're off they're listening to the audio now they're hearing your voice all the time you're adding more value you're helping them decrease stress hopefully they're going to want to stay with you for a longer time now once we give them the audio and we teach them how to do the meditation and relaxation the next piece to it is, well, when are they going to do it? And that's where we get into the, to the routines and habits of excellence. And I think one of the best things that we can do with our clients in any industry is help them to create morning and evening, AM and PM routines. And I spend a lot of time talking about the AM routine, but it's really the PM routine, or at least getting to bed at the right time, which will kickstart the AM routine. And I just went through a book called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, where he talks about uh, an acronym for a morning kind of routine, which I think is so brilliant. So I'll share it with you. It's called, and I'll see if I can recall it. It's called Savers, S-A-V-E-R-S, like a lifesavers routine. And S is silence. And they're literally sitting in silence and let's say doing, doing six to eight breathing. A is affirmation and repeating to yourself three times things like, I control the things that I can control and let go of the things that I can't, which is often a huge source of stress. Or saying things like, I carry myself with confidence in big body language at all times. Whatever the goal is specifically for the individual. So silence, affirmation. V is visualization. And visualization may be for an athlete, seeing themselves perform the way they want, but for someone in general population, it's, hey, see how you want your day to unfold. Anticipate, you know what the stressors can be during a day. See how you'd want to behave or react in those, in those stressful situations. Because as we say, everything happens twice, first in my mind and then in reality. But by me doing that visualization in the morning, it doesn't have to be long. It can literally be 90 seconds. Me running through my day. I'm going, okay, I have this difficult meeting or I have this difficult conversation or I have um, you know, this, this thing that I have to do. Let me see myself execute that the way I want to, navigating it how I want. So silence, affirmation, visualization. E is exercise, right? We know exercise is probably the greatest remedy for, for stress and anxiety that there can be. 
R is read. What can I read? And one of the things I suggest reading, um, you know, I, have, I wrote a book called The Daily Dominator. It's like a one page a day devotional to mindset. Um, Ryan Holiday's book, The Daily Stoic, is something that I read every day. I think I'm on year four. I just find it really good because it helps us to stay neutral. Like to me, stoic mindset is neutral. I'm not getting really positive. I'm never getting negative. I'm just staying neutral. It is what it is. And then the S, the last S is scribe, journal. So silence, affirmation, visualization exercise, read, inscribe, which is, is how, how Elrod says it, but journal. And then, well, what do I journal, right? And I've started, I've tried to journal for a long time, but if you can get your clients to journal and then share with you their journal so you can give them feedback, you're getting, it's like a gateway into their life. So the, one of the things I encourage them to journal is just jot, jot down what were three wins, three celebrations, what were three gratitudes? This comes from Robert Emmons' book, Gratitude Works, where he talks about if you express gratitude by keeping a gratitude journal, you'll become 25% more happy uh, over a course of time, which is great. So great book, Gratitude Works. So I journal three wins, three gratitudes, and then I do what I call an after-action review. Military term I took from a Navy SEAL friend of mine who, when he said after every mission that they would do, they'd come back and do an AAR, after-action review. And I'm like, well, how, do, how, how can I take that and use it? And he goes, well, it's easy. And he says, jot down, what do I need to start? What do I need to stop? What do I need to continue? Start, stop, continue. And every morning, I will literally do that where I'll sit down and I'll write, okay, as I reflect back in the last 24 hours, what do I want to start doing? And it's literally something as easy as get out of bed at my first alarm. What do I want to stop doing? Staying up until 10 o'clock mindlessly on my phone, go to bed. What do I want to continue doing? Journaling in the morning. So that kind of, if you can, if you can help your clients, and I think it doesn't matter what, what profession we're in, help them learn the skill of visualization or meditation, especially in a, in a, in a massage therapy setting, but then also the AMPM, and then we're look, like AMPM routines is like a drill to create the skill of routines and habits. Journaling is a skill to create the routines, I think, to create the skill of routines and habits, but also I think mindset, depending on what you have them journaling. Like if you're talking to them about, they're coming to you because they have chronic stress, have them keep a relaxation journal or a stress journal and kind of jot down the things that stress them out or the things that they do that bring them that kind of relaxation. And then you can help them create the lifestyle around being able to do those more frequently. That's really great. Thank you so much. And that's why I, I really like it, how it ties back to the routines and habits, because like once you're journaling, like you're building the awareness too. like, you know, like what is positive? What is relaxation for you? What we're stressing you out? So I think it like it's really interesting how it goes back and forth and it will like hopefully fluctuate between all the pillars and then after a while, you get all of them. So thank yeah. you so much. That was great. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And, and, and you brought something up there too that was awesome. As you said, awareness. It increases awareness. And I would encourage you to write this down and share this with other client, all your clients. Awareness is the first step to growth. I cannot grow without awareness. I cannot do that, which I do not even know exists or is good for me. You know, I might land on it and get lucky, but awareness is the first step to all growth. And you know, that which I'm aware of, I can work on and influence. That which I'm not aware of is probably going to work on and influence me. So the more we can increase awareness, the better. Awesome. Thanks. Great question. Thanks for bringing it up. Awesome. That was really, really valuable. And it's, Bori, you brought up a really good point too, that I, I think I want to emphasize too, as I went through, you know, Brian's course, it's, you know, it's easy when you have these 10 pillars to really get hung up on, you know, the, the systematic of, I have to do this pillar and then this pillar and then that pillar. But, mm. you know, really when you look at your situation, like you said, and you start to really build progress in one area, these pillars really do kind of loop right into one another and, and build success that way. So I think that's a really important thing to, to note. Yeah. One thing on that too, Nick, is I think when we look at the 10 pillars, I try to teach them very linear, like here's pillar one, here's pillar two, here's pillar three, because I think it's a simpler for people to follow. But the reality is the 10 pillars are like a big Venn diagram. And there's a and Venn diagram is where all the circles intersect. There's a ton of overlap, right? So like if you get your clients to journal, that's going to help them with mindset. That's probably going to help them with motivation and commitment. It's going to help them with focus. It's definitely going to help them with awareness. It's a part of their routine and they have to be time, they have to manage their time and organize and put it on their calendar. So it's like, it's kind of ties everything in together, which is great and help building that elite mind or help building that skill of mental performance mastery, that skill set. Awesome. I love it. Um, let's, uh, let's move to, uh, Tom next. So same, same prompt, just kind of given a, like I said, a little bit of an introduction of what you do, who you are, who you work with and, and, and where you'd like to go. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep it simple and straightforward. Hi, I'm Tom. 
just moved back to New York City to Kentucky here where I'm, where I'm from. I'm a health and performance coach. I like to specialize in movement, but let's go ahead. I want to focus on what you're talking about today because I find it very, very interesting. Try to prepare, try to think about a number of clients that I have and, and some of the similarities so we can help. I can get some feedback from you to help as many as possible. Uh, some are very COVID-related and then some are the exact opposite where they feel like they're doing every single thing right and they're not getting the results that they're looking for. So I'm thinking maybe it's psychological, maybe it's intrapersonal. And then for the COVID-related ones, I'm, I'm seeing something that feels more like interpersonal and more like the soft skills like you were talking about. Uh, so I'm going to say your name wrong. But the, like you just mentioned, uh, the soft skills, the emotional, the interpersonal. Um, what you described in the 10 pillars felt feels very much like singular intrapersonal development, intrapersonal skill. And I'm wondering how you expand that, how you make it more social, how do you make it more relational? Uh, some people that I know that are really struggling with COVID either just from quarantine or from the, the being sick themselves. I see, I see a lack of recovery or I see a lack of bounce back because they're not getting enough of that interpersonal, at least that's what maybe might be the case. Uh, and I'm wondering how to take those first steps to really help reverse that a little bit or help, help cure that you might say. So what thoughts do you have on that? What have you seen? Have you worked with some of the similar problems? Yeah. Just to make sure I got the question to, is, is in terms of how do I take this from being like individual skill to kind of bring it into a group? And yeah, I didn't, I didn't really focus it enough for you there, but that's, that's a big part of it. So, Let's see if I can structure it a little bit better. When I listen to the 10 pillars, I see a lot of really good interpersonal skill development. And I know that that's going to be big for the people that I work with that are having issues with quarantine and being too isolated. Yep. I'm wondering if there's maybe an evolution to how you take all this awesome interpersonal development and build on it to make it more interpersonal, make it more societal, make it more relational. So I think one of the things you can do, right, is, is like one of the things we'll share a lot in the, in, the, in the program is the power of accountability partners and the power of team, right? And a simple acronym of team, together everyone achieves more. If a team, there's total effort of all members. But how do we do this kind of together? And I think when you look at culture or you look at leadership in the last two pillars, you know, it's, it's culture is kind of like a, a set of beliefs that drive behaviors that produce a result. And a culture is kind of the, the, the people who I'm associated with, right? So if I'm on an island by myself, it's going to be really, really hard to do all the work I need to do maybe to, to be positive, to get the goals I want, to close the gap, because I'm on an island by myself. And I think sometimes when you make, if we go to pillar, to pillar two, the motivation and commitment, if you can make the commitment to someone else, like I can set the intention for me to wake up at five o'clock tomorrow morning and go work out. And it's probably hit or miss. But if there's someone who I'm going to meet, I'm not, I'm personally not, I'm not going to let them down. I'm going to show up, even if it's a virtual thing, you know? And sometimes if I'm having a hard time getting a workout in the morning, I will literally say, Hey, I'm going to go for a jog in the morning. Would you jump on a phone call with me and we can have a virtual run together during this pandemic or a friend of mine who's in a different part of the country or the world or whatever? So I think that socialization, that social connection, is super important in terms of, of motivation and commitment and accountability and support. And I think when we're looking at the 10 pillars of mental performance, creating, creating that connection with people around, let's say, mindset. And you could, for example, um, one of the apps that I use a lot and I recommend all the time is the app Optimize with Brian Johnson. It's basically 20-minute cliff note versions and some of the best books that are out there. So one of the things that, that your strategy you could use is creating what they call like a book battalion. And you may have, let's say, some of your clients who have similar goals and they want to all go through the same book. It's a 20-minute audio book. And let's say they go through the book Legacy about the New Zealand All Blacks. And then they get together on a Zoom call and they kind of do like a book club and they talk about how that, what's in that book and how it relates to what they're trying to do. So that can kind of foster some of that, that interpersonal you know, development as well. So I think using the 10 pillars and some of the strategies in there with other people to build that connection. And then I think when we look at the skill of leadership, I talk about the six C's of leadership. In the six C's of leadership, the first skill is connect connection. 
So we'll say if you know leadership is your ability to influence and impact others, and it's going to your your leadership is going to be, you know, to the extent with which people trust you. Like trust is the foundation of leadership, and trust is going to be established by by. I call them the skill set of the six C's of, of trust, which essentially becomes the six C's of leadership. And that would be building connection, the relationship you have with people, which often comes from from two things which have been challenged during a COVID era and a pandemic, which would be the, the trust is going to be developed through connection by time together and through shared adversity. So time whether it's in person on Zoom or shared adversity, doing hard things together, going through difficult times together, often is going to forge that connection, build that trust, allow you to have that influence and impact as a leader. And then the other five C's that we talk about in there are going to be your ability to be consistent, how you show up, the energy that you bring, your your character. Do you have the other people's best interest in mind? Do you someone who lives out of principle or preference? Principle is I have a set of values or shared values that we try to create now tying in culture. What are the values of our organization or in our training that we want to try to share with people? And if I live off of principle, I essentially live off of a values-driven life, or am I living off of preference? And where people struggle is when they live off of preference because they're always chasing a feel-good. They're always chasing what do I feel like doing in this moment. So connection, consistency, character. Then we go into communication. How clear do I communicate? Then we go into competence, developing skill. Do I have the people will come to you, and, and if you have the level of competence to help them close the gap, they'll stay with you. If they question your competence, they're going to go somewhere else, right? And then pillar six, or the, the, the I'm sorry, the sixth C would be courage, and the courage to have the difficult conversation, the courage to hold people accountable, the courage to let people know what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And I think as coaches, you know, we have to have the courage to be able to maybe be the only person who gives it straight to our clients, you know, especially when you're working with high profile athletes, like they're surrounded by yes people a lot of times. And when they have someone who they can develop a trust with, who's going to give it to them clearly because they have the courage, you know, to, to have the conversation. I think that can help a lot, a lot to develop that interpersonal relationship. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of help. I did, once you started talking more about it, especially with the number number two, you're talking about awareness and motivation. I definitely see how I can always, because I think you mentioned uh, at some point in the introduction about how you really have to uh, master yourself before you can begin to uh, reach out to others and the relationship there or, or the trend that we tend to see there. What you said about motivation and awareness, um, I think that's that's the that next level that I was looking for. And then it's also interesting because you said it's kind of an elective, that ninth and tenth for a lot of people. But I think that's when you start to see those two principles in particular, or those two pillars, sorry, are what you can maybe apply more to in the team setting mm. or as soon as you become more than one, maybe. And I like that as well. And you can, it, it doesn't have to be scaled up to be, you know, a football team of 70, whatever they are. It can be a family setting. It could just be a couple people. And, I, you know, it's, I think it's a, a lot easier to see where the interpersonal skills begin to emerge and how useful it can be. Yeah. And it, when we look at the culture, too, you know, and creating that MVP process and identifying for, for say, if, I, you know, if, I'm a, if I own a CrossFit gym. And the people come into my CrossFit gym, like essentially that's a team and you can create yeah. that team similar to, you know, what Bill Belichick would do with the New England Patriots or a football team in the sense of, Hey, here's, here's our mission and why we're doing what we do. Here's our vision and what we want to accomplish coming out of here. And we have a team vision or a collective vision, healthier lifestyle, better fitness, you know, better energy, decreased stress, but people have their own vision individually. So we had to tie those together. And then the core principles. I say a lot, culture is designed by MVP process, mission, vision, principles, the mission. Why do we exist? The vision, what do we want to accomplish? The principles, how do we go about living our life and our behavior? And uh, it's amazing how many, how many groups, teams, organizations you know, I mean, Fortune 500 companies where I've I've been fortunate to go in and speak, and then I'll see, you know, I'll I'll walk out with the CEO or whatever afterwards and be like, hey, what's the mission of your organization? And I'll be like, oh, hang on a second, and I'll have to look it up on his phone. And I'm like, man, if it's not if it's not in the minds and in the hearts of the people, it's it's a piece of writing on a wall. You know, it's what it is. It's not you can't live a mission and be on a mission unless I know the mission. 
and, and, and I talk about ownership a lot and, you know, ownership follows a three-step process. And I take, I put a lot of things into processes and, you know, because like my, I feel like sometimes my whole life is a system. My whole life is a process. But I, again, I, I've, I've, I've morphed into this because it's got to go from the clouds to the dirt. And, and if we're just talking about ownership, it's one thing. But if I say, hey, here's the three steps of ownership and you can kind of then identify where each of your people are at in terms of owning the product or owning the organization, et cetera, if you have people on your team. So the three steps to ownership, step one is I know it. I, I, I know it. I can communicate about it. I can talk about it. Step two is I do it. I live that way. And I, and I live that way and do it. And typically it's when I'm being held accountable or I'm with somebody, you know, who's been around longer than me. And then step three is I own it. And I own it's where like, you couldn't pay me not to do it. So I talk about success hotline, which is one of my favorite go-tos for developing a mindset. And my mentor, one of, my, one of my friends and mentors, Dr. Rob Gilbert, who's been a professor of sports psychology at Montclair State in New Jersey, January 22nd, 1992, he leaves a three-minute message on his answering machine and he asks his students to call and listen. Here we are 10,900 days later, the guy's left a three-minute message on an answering machine and all you do is call and listen every day for breakfast for your mind to get three minutes of, of mental game. And, you know, the, I'll give you the phone number so you can take it. The phone number is 973-743-4690. 973-743-4690 or check out the Success Hotline podcast. So by listening to that, you develop a, a, a more elite mindset. And then I think where you can tie that back in, Tom, to the kind of connection with people is I'll have like a Success Hotline accountability partner. So I'll call, what did I take out of this? How does this fit to my life? And I might drop a text message to a teammate or somebody who's my accountability partner, let's say that month or at that time. And then we might get on a call and break them down at some point, maybe during the week. And the thing about like success hotline is by calling it every day and getting that mindset, you do a little, a lot, you know? And I think that's, that's something that, um, can be really beneficial. And, and it's like, over well, a lot of my clients to tie this back to the three steps of ownership, I'll educate them all on success hotline. So they all know about it. And I literally send them the contact and they put it in their phone and then they'll do it when they're with me. Like I'm like, Hey, let's call success hotline. He dedicated today's message to you. I want to make sure you hear it. So we'll call it together. So they know it. They'll do it when they're with me, but they don't own it and they don't do it consistently and they don't do it consistently. So they don't get the benefit of doing it long-term that you would get if you called every day. But part of why they don't call every day is they don't have the routine and habit built in place. And, and I look back at my own life and I reflect that when I was a high school athletic director and I would drive to the office every day for eight years, well, my routine was I'd get in the car, put my seatbelt on, back out of the driveway, start the drive, call success hotline. So I called every day. Once I stopped being a high school athletic director and became an entrepreneur and I may or may not travel, I became way less consistent with calling. Until I decided, man, I got to start calling. How am I going to do it? And I, then I started learning more about triggers and, and prompts. And I literally have mapped out in my morning routine, you know, ideally five five thirty to five forty five is the wake up block. Get dressed, get coffee, brush your teeth, do your thing. Five forty five to six is my journal block, and part of that journal block is calling Success Hotline and taking notes on it. So. I've been more consistent with it that way. And one of the other tools that I use to track that because measurement is, is motivation is I use an app called way of life. Oops. And if I may here, let me actually do this. I think this could be tremendous. Uh, Nick, if I can share my screen, please, if you can give me permissions to do that. Uh, let me walk you all through this. So if you go maybe click on my uh, picture and the three dots next to me, perfect. Maybe a host. Brilliant. Okay. So let's see if I can do this. Okay, so sharing my screen, going to QuickTime. Hey, let's go to my iPhone. And this is this is maybe the, the best thing I've been doing with, with clients. I call it the success checklist. And the success checklist builds awareness. The success checklist provides self-accountability, self-discipline. So the app I use for the success checklist is called Way of Life. So when I click on that, let's go back to last week, you'll see all the different things that I want to do from, I just actually added the five minutes of golf mental imagery seven days a week. So you won't see that on there, but like, um, relationship with my wife, did I invest quality time? And did I use words of affirmation with my wife who we call the bear? You know, I was supposed to do that four days a week. I checked the box once for green. I want to get better with that, building awareness to it. 
Did I take a, a cold shower for 10 seconds a day? Did I weigh in at 180, which I'm trying to stay at? I used to be 240, so I made some progress there. Did I write down three gratitudes? Did I write down three celebrations? Did I call success hotline? So the seven days a week, did I read the Daily Stoic? Did I go through a thing called Orange Book? Did I review my notes? Did I get 90% of my sleep according to Whoop? So I have all these different things that I'm tracking in terms of habit creation that I feel like when I execute on those, I become the best version of me. The thing I like about this app is in the bottom where if I click trend, and let's say I go over here to two weeks, in the last two weeks, if I click summarize all, I've executed at 66%. Now, the perfectionist in me wants to go, 66%, man, you got to get better than that. That's not good. That's like a failing grade. Well, 66% is 10% better than I was in the last year. So what do we call that? Progress. And the goal is progress, not perfection. Like That's a big mindset shift for people. Let's make progress, not perfection. So if you can get your clients to keep a success checklist. And part of that success checklist may be what do you want them to do when they're not with you, but also what do they want to do that they're, they're trying to achieve. And then you can be an accountability partner for them. You'll have people that will come to see you just for the accountability. It's like an added skill set that you have. You're like their accountability coach. I mean, I have a lot of people that I work with who know exactly what to do, but they know that if they talk to me every Monday for 15 minutes on a Zoom call, they're more likely to do what they need to do between Mondays than if they don't. So they do it. And I think there's a, a, a lot to be said about accountability and, and then being able to be that kind of support for our clients. If you don't mind, I had one of the clients that I had in mind when I was preparing for this, and it's the very, very successful, near perfect client. Mm. Very young. Everything is going well, except for this one measurement, HRV, the classic thing that is a little bit hard. To, to understand for general population, for, for some of the clinicians as well, everything is going well, but HRV, it doesn't even matter. Let's just say it's very low, yep. okay? And it's, it's underwhelming for him. And I'm curious as to if you spend much time talking about, the, in reference to data, with physiological markers and seeing uh, progress in those or being able to track how some of these, some of the pillars or some of the things that you're putting in place affect those physiological markers. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've dabbled with, um, you know, whoop bands. I've dabbled with the Aura Ring, with the Garmin, the Garmin watch. You know, Joel Jameson's Morpheus, and kind of used all of them and kind of found out which one which one fits best with me. And you know, they're all kind of markers for HRV and things like that. So, um, what I've tried to look at is try to figure out, almost looking at it like a game. I think anytime we can quote unquote gamify what we're trying to do and make it a game, it's more fun to play a game. You know, it's more fun to play a game than do work, right? So if I'm playing a game going, hey, I'm playing the HRV game, what can I do? And I've noticed certain trends like if I don't eat two hours before bed, my HRV is typically better. But obviously, if I don't drink alcohol, my DHRV is typically better. If I do a cold tank or uh, some type of like yoga stretching sort of meditation before bed, my HRV is typically better. So I think that one of the things that we try to get our, our clients to do is pay attention to what their lifestyle is or pay attention to what they do maybe as part of a shutdown routine to try to influence some of those markers, knowing that there's so many factors that tie in. It's, it's hard to identify the one. And I think a lot of times people especially like your type A, highly competitive, highly successful, they go looking to say like, what's the, what's the one thing that if I get better at, that's going to make the difference for me and be the new needle, the needle mover. mover. And I like to say that, you know, excellence seekers or people, excellent seekers or, you know, people who have an elite mindset, they understand that it's about getting maybe, you know, 1% better in 10 areas than getting 10% better in one area. But we've got to identify what all those areas are. So good questions, Tom. Thank you. Awesome. I love it. Such great stuff. <clears throat> Let's move to Jen next. Uh, I'm excited for this one for sure. Jen comes from a very different background than, than a lot of the other coaches on the call. So Jen, the floor is yours. Perfect. Thanks, Nick. Uh, hi, Brian. Nice to meet you uh, in, pers in person. Yeah, so I work uh, in a dental field. I'm a myofunctional therapist. So we have a diverse group of clients ranging from five years old to 65 years old. Um, a lot of patients come to us because they've either been referred to us. They have sleep apnea or sleep disorders. Uh, they're in pain with their jaw, face, headaches, or they want their teeth straight. They want to do orthodontics. So I feel like there's a couple groups of clients there. There's a group that has some acute pain. They want to get better. And then there's a group that maybe doesn't know what they have. They come in for an assessment, 
new patient exam. They come to see me. I do an assessment. So as a myofunctional therapist, I look at the face. I look at, are their muscles coordinated? Are they swallowing and chewing correctly? Stuff like that. And the way they get better is for me to prescribe them a series of therapeutic exercises for their jaw and face, but it's compliant-based. It's based on neuroplasticity. So it's about intensity. It's about compliance. It's about frequency, all of that. And I tell my clients, you know, practice makes permanent. Mm. It doesn't make perfect. So you Mm. can change your brain for the better. So I have that on my wall in my operatory. Um, But what I find is that a lot of people who are in chronic pain, they'll be very compliant. And then the people who come in and do an assessment, and then we do a sleep screening, and it's like, hey, guess what? You have sleep apnea, you're not swallowing correctly, you're not breathing correctly. They don't feel that they need it because they don't, they might not see the value in it because there's nothing quote unquote wrong with them that they feel. Mm. Right. So it's like, it's like the here and the now, whereas we want to do preventative care. We want to make sure that this person doesn't have sleep apnea. I see a 15 year old and he's headed down the path to having sleep apnea in his 40s. So getting him to be compliant. Um, and doing those exercises, you know, three times a day, doing Boteco breathing. Um, how do you keep that person motivated? How do you keep them on track, um, given that they're not in acute pain, right? Mm. Yeah, great question, right? That's kind of the million-dollar question is, is, you know, and I think a couple strategies that you can use. And I like to think, of, I like to think about in strategies in terms of what can we do, you know? And I think one of the things to do is can you find, can you find someone – who it's like when I was a health teacher in a high school, right? And we would do the drug alcohol unit. We would bring in someone whose life 10 years down the road was um, very adverse. And it started when they were in high school. And it's kind of like, hey, here's the path that you may be on. But I think people in that moment look at it. Maybe they go, they don't see, they don't see, well, well, that's him. That's not me, right? So I think one is hearing other people's stories. I think the other one is trying to gamify. So if you think about like P90X, and the workout video. And I think sometimes, you know, if you have like a, a, I was just doing a program called fit for golf, where literally on my phone, I would, I would wake up and there's the workout and I would hit the video and I would follow along like P90X. Jen, are you familiar with, with that, that system, right? So they're following the video. So if you can make, and it's tough when everything you're doing is, is specific for an individual client Yes. where, where if, but if you say, Hey, here's like, if you look at the 80-20, right, what's, what is it that you're doing maybe 20% of the time or 20% of the exercises that you may use, but you're using them 80% of the time, you make your almost like, you know, Jen's P90X for your, for your clients and you almost give them videos to follow. And then it becomes almost a gamify where they don't have to remember the exercise or anything like that. You've recorded the video once, they can watch the video, they can follow along. And that, that makes that, then you build it into their routine. That makes it a lot easier. Um, the other piece around the motivation and commitment is it's re- it's really hard for people to try to work on something when they can't see it. Yes. So, you know, that becomes a challenge I think we're all going to have. And typically there's nothing more common, right, than the person who comes in with a, with a chronic injury or illness. Once they get healthy, they go, oh, I got it fixed. And then, yeah. then three, three months later, they're back in with it. So, yeah. you know, trying to create, again, to me, so much of it comes back to creating the routines and the habits of once we hit, once we give them the tool or the program to follow, can they get that? Can we get them to follow it on their own consistently? Because if they can follow it on their own by having the routines and the habits, that's going to then give them, you know, the consistency that they need to get the results that they're looking for. So I don't know if that helps, but I think that that's something where if you can maybe maybe find a way to gamify it, if you can find a way to have the videos or it makes it easier for them, you know, instead of them, because what happens is they'll come to you if we, and I, I've had this with a physical therapist I worked with recently for some, from foot and, and knee pain I was having from running, is she'd write, we'd, I'd go to see her, we'd go through the exercises, she'd write down the exercises, I'd go home, the next day I'd look at them and go, I can't remember what that is. So, yeah. I couldn't, so I couldn't do it, you know? So, so then I finally, when I went in to see her, I'd say, look, when you're taking me through this exercise, like, let's, let's make an own video. So I would do an ussy, not a selfie, but it'd be an ussy because there was two of us. So we'd have the ussy video going and I'd be like, all right, take me through this. What are we doing? And she'd show me the exercises. And then I would literally go to the, to the, to the exercise routine or so that she would write down for me. And go, oh, okay. That's the video. That's what I need. And then that yes. helped me because when I got home, I could see the video and go, okay, that's what, 
Dr. Steph wants me to do. Let me do this, you know? Yeah, that does help. And I think a big piece that I've tried to pull into is education. Like, you know how you're talking about awareness and in my field, because it's an emerging field, never since COVID started, people are more aware about their breathing, especially, you know, with James Nestor's book that just came out. So people are aware about breathing. They're aware about how it affects overall health. They're starting to become more aware of it. Even dentists themselves, a lot of them don't know about myofunctional therapy. So even referring out and getting referrals back in is often difficult because people have to be on board, right? And it's building that awareness in an emerging field of medicine that's really in its infancy. Mm. So it's it's trying to get the buy-in from people too, but I'm trying to educate, but that takes time, right? Yeah. And it's, well, it's like, if you look at meditation, I mean, I've the, the, I'm much more consistent with meditation because I have the calm app. Right. And when I, right. when I look at breathing exercises, I've, I've, I mean, I have, I'm looking at breathe on my shelf right here. I have the book right here by James Nestor. And I look at that and then, uh, you know, I look at the, the Wim Hof, uh, app, right. Where, where yeah. you sit down and it's like, the thing I love about the Wim Hof app and is it just literally you, well, he walks you through what you're doing. You're doing it with him. Like it's P90X. And I think for a lot of people, we've got to make it we got to make it really simple. And I had someone ask me the other day, he said, Hey, when you're, when you're, he's like, you know, you, you work with all these, let's call major league baseball players, blah, 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 blah. He goes, I got a nine year old son. What do you do with him? I'm like, well, we do it really simple. And we, you know, show him, show him the exercise and here's what we're going to do. And we make a video and they can follow the video. He's like, well, how do you change that differently than you're working with a major league baseball player? I go, I treat the major leaguer like he's nine year old. Yeah. And I try to keep, I try to keep it as simple as it's like teach the advanced adult like they're in kindergarten because then yeah. they'll understand because we're keeping it simple. And I think yeah. sometimes, sometimes we don't necessarily maybe we, and I fall victim to this is where I've been teaching mental performance for 20 years. So sometimes I'm like, well, what's simple to me? Well, I mean, I'm not that smart. That should be simple to everybody else. But in reality, it might be the first time they've ever heard it. Yes. You know, so we have to really be intentional about being simple because I think when we're simple, other people maybe feel more confident and they're more likely to follow through and do it. So I think when we can simplify, we should and treat everybody like they're a kindergartner, probably going to get better results. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Last but not least, Paul. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, honestly, you've answered pretty much every question that I could have ever asked at this point. But uh, just for the the sake of uh, posterity and having you here, um, a little bit about me. I've I was a personal trainer, nutrition coach for many years, CSCS, all the different things, every everything under the sun. But then I am now a national board certified health and health and wellness coach because through my training with people and clients. I was very much gen pop. I was never athletes. And the same question I always came back to was, why do people not do the thing that they know they need to do? Hmm. And beyond that, this is kind of what Jen was just asking. And then beyond that, why do do people not do the thing that they say they want to do, right? So they say, I want to lose weight. And then we take actions that are directly counter to that thing, right? So like my question to you, because again, you answered a lot of this when you just spoke, when you spoke to Jen and some of the other people, it's like you, for some of the pillars, you talk about have uh, pillar number one, have an elite mindset. Pillar number two, motivation. And then later, uh, discipline. And it's one of those things. Like I feel like it's very popular now for for trainers to say, well, it's not about motivation because we understand that motivation comes in waves and it's up and down. And you can't rely on motivation. But if you can't be motivated, then just be disciplined. And I feel like when people say that, that's like saying, well, like, oh, if you're dehydrated, just drink water. Like, it's like, obviously, if I could do that, that would be the thing, right? So it's like for the client who is, if you talk about stages of change, right? They're like, their doctor has told them to come to me. They're pre-contemplation. They don't, you know, like, it's like, what do I do? And I get you, a lot of the things you structure. And so I, again, this question has kind of been answered, but that's just where I, the question I would have is like, what do you do with someone like that? Who is not an elite athlete, who is not getting paid millions of dollars sure. or something like that. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think the two things I come back to a lot for motivation and commitment, and we all struggle with this, is what do I really want? Why do I want it? And then the follow-up question to that that I've started asking recently is who succeeds if you get it? And then who suffers if you don't? And I love the question of who suffers if you don't? Who are you letting down if you don't? Who are you disappointing if you don't? And it's that often pain point, right? It's because it, all the positives, it's like people maybe maybe don't make the change. But when you hit them with like, hey, if you don't lose weight, who's going to suffer? If you don't get in better shape, who are you letting down? Who's going to suffer? Hey, if you don't fix this habit around alcohol or smoking, guess what? 
You want your kids to not show up to, you want your kids to be at graduation and not have mom or dad there? Because that's the path we're going down. You know, and I think you have to have the courage to be able to have that conversation because people may not like it and they may leave you, but at least you're doing your best thing to try to get them to build the awareness to change. And I can tell you, my life changed when I was a 240-pound high school athletic director in Vermont, thinking I was living my best life. And my, one of my friends and mentors, Dr. Declan Connolly, rest in peace. We lost him in February of 2020 to a, ski, to a heart attack in when we were skiing. And exercise physiologist, very well, well-respected professor. And he came up, I had him come up to our high school where I was working to speak to our coaches and athletes. And he came up, I hadn't seen him in probably three years. He was in Vermont. He drove up to come up. He was like, Mr. Kane, the Irish guy, Mr. Kane, I'm going to come up. We're going to ride our bikes around that lake that you have up there by that high school. It's a nice lake. We're going to ride around it. So get your bike, get your get yourself ready to go. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. So he comes up. We get on the bike. We make it about five miles. I pull over. I'm like, Doc, I, I'm crushed, man. I get off the bike, you know, and he's not even sweating yet. And he come, rips his bike around. He comes over. He goes, Mr. Kane, this is where pain makes a difference. Mr. Kane, you want to be an elite mental performance coach? He goes, you can't even ride your bike five miles without having to get off. He goes, I got news for you. If I were to put you in front of the New York Rangers and you look like you look right now and you're 240 pounds and you're out of shape, they're going to laugh you out of the room. He goes, it doesn't even matter what you say. They're not going to listen to you. He said, and he said something. He says, leaders aren't fought. He goes, you got to look the part. You got to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anybody else. And uh, no one ever said that. But when he said that to me, I'm like, damn it, you're right. Now I said, now I, I, I need help, right? So he gave me a nutrition plan. I got back on an exercise plan. And I'm happy to say I jumped on a scale this morning at 181, you know, so... 59 pounds lighter, um, you know, the concept of leaders aren't fat, probably not the most politically correct thing to say in 2021, but I'll tell you, it's damn true. And I think it's like, don't go to the doctor that smokes. Don't go to the poor financial planner. And don't go to the mental performance coach who doesn't live what he's trying to teach or she's trying to teach on a daily basis. So, and, and there's a sign I saw on the wall of a, of a high-level coach at Baylor University down in Texas who said, people need a, a model to see more than a motto to say. And I thought that was so true. And I'm glad he had that difficult conversation with me because if he didn't, I probably never would have, never would have made any lifestyle adjustments. So I think the pain point of who are you disappointing if you don't execute and follow through? What do you really want? Why do you want it? Who are you going? Who is going to benefit if you do? Who is going to suffer if you don't? I think those are questions that people have to reflect on. But the world we live in, man, people don't want to reflect. They want to look at this. They want to be entertained, right? I call it the E to E to E ratio. Education, entertainment, energy. We all got a limited amount of time. In my limited amount of time, what am I doing? Am I getting entertained? Am I getting educated? Am I building my energy? And I think too many people, especially ones that are coming to us, too much entertainment. And, and, and they don't realize that, hey, man, let's be the entertainment in your own life. Let's set a goal. Let's set a challenge. And one of the concepts I love to share with my clients, and, and it's, it's called a masogi. And a masogi is a, is a Japanese word for like something on your calendar that's so big. And big into time management and having a calendar. Because calendars set deadlines. Without deadlines, dreams are just wishes, right? They're not, they're not, uh, uh, the difference between a dream and a goal is a goal has a deadline. This is what I'm going to get it done by. So we, when, we, when we get our clients to put things on their calendar, it creates urgency. It creates pressure. And pressure is the only thing that makes people move, right? Pressure is a privilege. With no pressure, no diamonds, right? Take a piece of coal, put pressure on it, and it becomes great. It becomes a diamond. So... By setting a calendar for people with targets, going, hey, you said, you said you want this. Why do you want it? Who benefits if you do? Who suffers if you don't? When are we going to get it done by? Let's reverse engineer a plan. Let's get to work. And on this day, you're going to do this. And I'm going to show up with you, and we're going to do it together. You know, and here's who we're going to, and, and I talk about like three steps to make it happen. Number one, make a commitment. Number two, make it public. Tell everybody you're going to do it. Put it on your Facebook page. Put it wherever it needs to go. Step three, let's make it happen. Part of making a commitment too, right? If you have the, if you have the serial bailout, like the person who always commits and then doesn't show up, I have those people commit, don't show up. Here's one of my favorite strategies. Okay. As I literally had this person, I said, what's the organization you hate the most you would never give money to? This guy went to the University of Michigan. He goes, Ohio State football. I would never give a penny to Ohio State football. I said, you're going to write a check for $1,000 to Ohio State football. You're going to give it to me. I'm going to put it in an envelope. I'm going to put a date on it. It's the same date as the day that you and I are going to go do this half marathon together. We can walk. We can crawl. Don't care. But we're going 13.1 miles because you said you wanted to. And we signed up. 
And if you don't make it and you don't finish, I'll mail in the check. If you do, I'll hand the check back to you. He finally showed up. So you just got to find the right strategy. And I, and, I, and I like to look at it this way. Last thing I'll share here, because I know we're taking a lot of your time, is A plus S plus G-O-Y-A equals R. Got it right from Success Hotline and Dr. Rob Gilbert. A plus S plus G-O-Y-A equals R. A is ability. And I don't think any of us, no matter who we are, where we are, I don't think we lack the ability. I think we're blocking the ability. And we unblock the ability with S, strategy. So I think our job as coaches, as trainers, as people in the health and wellness industry is we have, to be, we have to be performance strategists and find the right strategy at the right time for the person that we're working with. And then we have to support and hold accountable the G-O-Y-A. They get off of your anatomy. They got to do the work, right? Work wins. And sometimes the work is, hey, let's start to walk to the mailbox every day instead of driving. Let's start there. Good. So start to stops most people. Don't let the start stop you. Let's get started with what we're doing. And then the then the last piece is the R, which is the results, right? So ability plus strategy plus get off your anatomy equals results. And if you can follow that process and you can think to yourself as a coach, right? And as a teacher, like I used to get frustrated when people wouldn't do what I asked them to do. I used to get frustrated when people wouldn't learn what I'm trying to teach. And I and I I made the conscious decision to go from being frustrated to fascinated. And to me, fascinated as a coach is if, if, this, if this client isn't getting it and not following through and they're not doing it, it's on me, not them. And it's on me as the coach because they're the one coming to me for the strategy and the support and the accountability. And apparently, I'm not good enough to help them get the results they want. So I'm going to take extreme ownership and I'm going to find a way to help them get to where they want to go. And I think when you take that level of ownership, you can truly become the best version of you as a coach and you can help people get the results that they've been lacking. Awesome. I think that's a really, really great wrap up point. This was really awesome. Um, it was really great to do something a little bit different and kind of get more of this discussion format. I think this is really great. And, you know, the thing that really jumped out for me is, you know, obviously the people on this call are from very different backgrounds and, you know, having gone through the course and having heard the pillars and heard Ryan talk so many different times, you know, seeing how applicable it is to so many different situations and so many different backgrounds is um, is really great. So, Brian, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you to everybody who, who tuned into this. Um, if you want to take a much deeper dive into these pillars, um, into the actionable items, you can find out about Brian's course at briancane.com slash certification. Uh, you can also find Brian on uh, Instagram at and Twitter at briancanepeak. Um, Brian, any closing thoughts? No, it was awesome. I appreciate you all taking time to come and do this. You know, I think this is a cool format when it can be conversational and, and be able to, to, you know, answer, answer some, some questions that, that maybe never would have came out if it was just Nick and I, or just me making a video, you know? So, uh, really, really grateful for y'all to join us. And I think Nick, you hit the nail on the head is that the 10 pillars literally transcends across, you know, any, any platform, whether, whether it be, you know, corporate, whether it be athletic, whether it be education, whether it be massage therapy, whether it be health and wellness, you know, whatever it is, it's going to transcend because we're talking about human skills. And, you know, if I, if I could share any, anything with anybody on the call, who's interested in learning more about mental performance, you know, briancanecom slash certification. I'd love to have you come on the journey with us and be able to support you and helping you support your clients. And I think that's the one thing, you know, that's my mission in life is, educate, empower, energize other people to be their best. It's not educate, empower, energize baseball players. You know, it's educate, energize, empower other people to be their best, no matter what arena. So when people say, Hey, what's, what's your, what's your favorite person to work with? You know? And I always say, it's the next one. It's the one I'm with, man, because you got to be where your feet are and you got to make the big time where you are. If you want to be able to give the value that people need to close the gap from where they are to where they want to be. Awesome. I love it. Brian, thank you. Everyone else. Thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Dominate today. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.